Like, what does flexibility mean? It's not, can I put my leg up in the air or do the yoga pose or whatever? What I mean by emotional fitness flexibility is that I'm an adaptable human who can adapt to things. <laughs> you know, like I give myself grace and I give others grace. I hold a place for hope in life, within myself and within other human beings, within the world, frankly, which we all need that right now. And sometimes I have to go with the flow. That, my friends, is Samantha Pruitt, also called Sam. And today we talk a lot about this concept called emotional fitness. Sam really breaks this down for us, talking about concepts like strength, flexibility, and endurance in the context that you know, a lot of us probably have not thought of before. So in this context of mental strength, um, endurance and flexibility, and I really, really appreciate her perspective. In addition, Sam has been a runner for quite some time now. She has a really unique background, I think, to a lot of, you know, maybe us runners that have been runners forever. Um, I think anyone that started running later in life can perhaps relate to her. Um, in addition, I mean, Sam's just an all-around awesome person. She has her own podcast called Endurance Town USA, which I encourage you to go check out. And as I mentioned in this episode, we're both part of the Chosky Endurance Collective, which again, check us out, chosky.run um, online. And and you can connect with Sam in a number of ways on Instagram, through her podcast, or through her website. Um, she does offer life and business coaching. So just a great person to learn from. And I certainly, in, in the spirit of things, I think uh, I've moved to Colorado this past week and have really just found this episode so helpful to re-listen to, um, inspired by Sam and all of her her words of wisdom around fitness and what that means on a, on a mental and emotional level. I think we talk a lot about, um, you know, physical fitness or focus a lot on our physical training for running, but we don't often think about these other concepts and how they really, I think she does a beautiful job too of how tying them into to life. And so I'll stop rambling now, but enjoy this episode uh, with Sam and really hope that if you live out in Colorado, even if you don't, um, we are starting meetup runs quite soon. So um, I would love for you to be a part of them. I plan to do some Sunday mornings. Of course, Sunday morning is a tough one for some people. So we'll try and get uh, lots of different times available in different locations and just keep you updated on that. So have a wonderful week ahead and hope that you enjoy this episode. You're listening to Strong Runner Chick Radio, where our goal is to educate, empower, and connect female distance runners. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to leave a review on iTunes or any platform of your choosing or share it with someone who might find this episode helpful. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, Strong Runner Chicks. Welcome back to an episode of Strong Runner Chick Radio. It's Megan on today and I have with me Samantha Pruitt, also called Sam by short. Um, with Endurance Town USA. She's also a team member of mine over at Chosky Endurance Collective. So super stoked to have you on today, Sam. How's it going? Awesome. Megan, so Woo. stoked to be here with you. Yes, my sister from Chosky. And that's how we've gotten to know each other. And I'm so thrilled that we're going to continue this relationship with strong runner chicks. Let's do Me it. too. Yeah, let's kick it off. Well, we love to just get a little start into how you initially got started in running. And I have not yet heard your whole background story. So I'm curious to know. Got it. Um, well, I'm actually an ex-couch potato by nature. Um, I didn't do running or sports or anything <laughs> healthy or physically active for a majority of my younger life. But I found it in my late 20s um, when I actually had a health crisis. I have an autoimmune disease, but really what ended up happening is my brain and body broke from really poor lifestyle choices. Um, things just weren't working for me in a, in a myriad of ways, and it kind of all broke down in that part of my journey to figuring out what was wrong and then healing and then doing the work to rebuild, I discovered running. And it really was because I didn't even know it was a thing. And I always thought that that's what, you know, like naturally talented, gifted, healthy people did. And I recognized that. I just didn't feel that that was me, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so I found it as a way to lose weight. I had gotten really overweight during that time that my life was sort of falling into shreds. And 
I wanted to lose weight. And everybody said, well, you know, running, you can lose weight. So I found running through that portal, but very quickly I realized, oh no, that's not what running is. Running is a whole other thing. And so it became, you know, a huge part of my life and has been for the last 22 years. I'll be 52 this year. Wow. What a story. Well, congrats on 22 years of running. That's a long time, um, long time coming and continuing to run. Um, I'm curious when you say, you know, your life was essentially in shambles, how did it end up that way? What were some of those choices or maybe early, uh, childhood experiences growing up that might've led you down that path? Yeah. Um, For me, it was not really having role models around health, wellness, and fitness. And that is, you know, physical and emotional. Um, And then making poor choices around nutrition. I had a very high stress lifestyle. Um, Like growing up, I didn't have the role models. And then very quickly, when I was a teenager, I started to have some challenges in more the mental and emotional wellness space. And I would say physical too, but not in the same way. Um, And I've lived on my own since I was 16. So as a very independent person, kind of out in the world, trying to figure stuff out, there was no shortage of bumps and bruises and like epic, crazy things that were not healthy, that I was getting myself involved in uh, bad relationships, drugs, alcohol, all the things, you know, as I became a young adult and started making a living and kind of forging my path into adulthood, I got very wrapped up in chasing, I'll just say the American dream or the like economic model of what everybody, um, you know, perceives success to be. And because I, it was role modeled for me that that was kind of what you did and what you chased, I chased it as well. And in that chasing of, you know, making money, forging a career path, um, you know, trying to become successful, I overworked, again, poor eating, too much alcohol, very stressed out, bad relationships. And then all of those things just exasperated mm-hmm. one on top of the other, you know, for, for years until, yeah, basically my brain and my body broke. Wow. So it wasn't really it wasn't good. That, yeah. That experience, uh, was there just like, do you have a story there with how you came to terms? Was it a doctor's appointment? That was the wake up call. Mm-hmm. Was it a some sort of experience that led you to say, I have to make a change. Yeah. Unfortunately, the doctors couldn't actually prescribe even, um, or diagnose my autoimmune disease at that time, which is celiacs. And it's one of hundreds of autoimmune diseases, but they couldn't figure that out. They said it was all these other things. And so that was actually really challenging. I went for a couple of years of knowing something was physically wrong, but not being able to clearly identify, diagnose, and then make the appropriate changes. So that really exasperated the, the depression and the anxiety, you know, this kind of feeling of, I feel horrible in this body. And yet they say, there's nothing wrong with me or nothing that we can do. And I literally did have conversations with doctors where they're like, you know, you just have IBS and this and that, take these medications and, you know, you'll learn to live with it. I was like, I'm sorry, live with this? Because at that moment, that was really not saying much. You know, I wasn't barely even 30 at that time. And so the idea of living with that was just emotionally crushing. Um, The big moment I totally remember, I got to a point where I was 50 pounds heavier than I am now. I was barely eating. I was super malnourished. And it's because these systems all break down in your body when you have celiacs and you're not taking care of it. And I remember literally being in the bathroom after like, you know, having a lot all these digestive things going on and just thinking I'm going to die, but there's no, I don't know why. Like I, I see that this is the path because I have no resolution around it. And I don't even have a comp- comprehension for what's really happening. And there's nothing I can do. So I sat there literally like trying to digest this at that moment. I actually had gotten remarried. I had moved. I had a small child. So I had a lot of things going in life that were positive things, but I felt miserable. It didn't make any sense. And in that moment, I, it was crystal clear for me that I have to take complete control back over my own body, my brain, my body, everything. I have to take complete control and take everything back and figure this out. And so that was the next day. Literally, I quit my job. I did all these radical things. And I had the support of my husband and son and everything was amazing. But I quit my job. I started to go back to school and study holistic health. And at 
that point, I actually learned that nutrition is a thing, stress reduction, sleep, exercise. I mean, literally, I'm a 30-year-old woman, like learning these things. It was just bizarre to me that that wasn't a part of growing up and a part of our education and a part of, you know, what was normal for our society. So I learned all those things. And then I started to make the micro changes towards a different body, a different brain, and ultimately a completely different life. And here I am now. Wow. Yeah. That, what a story. I mean, I'm just in awe of how powerful that is to have discovered this whole new path for yourself and to take Mm -hmm. charge of your own health and your life again, um, or for once, you know, in your life to take that step. Yeah. Um, how did you eventually know that it was celiac? Was this sort of a process of discovery? Was it, you Mm -hmm. know, something you learned along the way or, or just trial and error? Uh, trial and error for several years. I did think it was food allergy related because a lot of times when I would eat, I would get very, very sick. And I had this pendulum swinging, you know, all these weird things going on with my body. And it seemed to be correlated to the food I put in my mouth. And I would question doctors because I had rashes all over all these things. And every Western doctor experience I had was like, it's not the food. It's not the food. And I'm like, but when I eat this, I get this huge rash. But when I eat this, I don't feel good. But when I eat this, I get, you know, constipation, diarrhea, all these things. Well, something else is going on in your body. So I, when I was studying holistic health and learning that nutrition literally affects everything, it's amazing to me the power that is within that concept. I was like, okay, so the food is a thing. So then I found a nutritionist and we started picking apart all of the things. What does that mean? What are the food, you know, what could be going on related to all that? She actually speculated at that time, I probably had celiacs. I went and got tested and I tested negative, a false negative. And that was because at that time I was trying to cut it all out of my system and out of my body because we suspected that might be a thing. So I tested negative at that time. And then I went a whole other year undiagnosed, um, just getting sicker and sicker and it was crazy making, but eventually I retested, went on a deeper dive with the testing. And of course they, they found that. And then it was, then it was an emotional roller coaster because many people know when they learn something about themselves like that, where it changes everything, there's a, you know, blessing and a curse. So I had to kind of process, like I just went for years, miserable and suffering, but now I have some solution to move towards, but at the same time, I'm kind of pissed off about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now I I mean, I'll never drink beer or eat pizza (sighs) again. Like I'll never. And so then it was the emotional roller coaster of like figuring out how to have a different relationship with food. Um, and that can be really tricky. I really feel, I mean, a lot of us do already have complicated relationships with food and that just added a whole other layer of, love, hate food relationships, and then issues with the body and self-image and all of that kind of stuff. So years of work is basically what it's been now. And um, of course, now I, you know, I feel great. I'm incredibly physically active. I've been doing endurance sports for these 22 years, moving down that pipeline. So I figured it out, but there's, you know, it's not perfect by any means. It never will be. I'm a human being. (laughs) Yeah. Ongoing always. Um, I have a couple questions too. What were you doing? We'll get into running here in a minute, but what were you doing professionally at the time? What was this kind of, was it a corporate ladder climb or what path were you down? And then how did this journey of self-discovery lead you down the, the path that you're on now with empowering people, life coaching, et cetera? Yeah. At that time, I was a sales and marketing professional in the cut flower industry, actually. And so I kind of had worked my way through that as well. So I was already in management in my late 20s. And by my mid 20s, like I was at high level management. And so that was a lot of stress for a 20 something who had very little experience with it. It was just, I'm, I work really hard. Up until this year, honestly, at 52, I've always thought of myself as a grinder. Like I just get shit done. I'm going to like bulldoze through things and make stuff happen. My biggest lesson in COVID has been to let go of that and no longer grind, but that's taken me 52 years. But because I was a grinder, I was in a high level position, doing a lot of travel, eating out, drinking, you know, schmoozing, all the things. 
And that lifestyle just was really unhealthy for me, chasing, chasing that success. That's where I thought I'd find value in myself. Yeah. It wasn't there, by the way. <laughs> was it in running? Did you find it through running or, or where did running come into the picture and how did that transform? I would say I found myself through mm-hmm. running and endurance sports. I found like, who is this freaking human being in this body? And what in the hell is she doing here and why is she doing it? So absolutely endurance sports and running um, changed my entire life. There's no doubt about it. What were those first experiences like with Mm. maybe running itself since this is a running podcast, but you could talk about if it was biking, if it was swimming, some experience you had, what that felt like to get out there. Yeah. Well, my first running wasn't great because I was really heavy at that time and I didn't, I felt a lot of shame around my body, a lot of just, you know, really negative self-talk and that kind of stuff. So I'd go to the gym and kind of go through the motions at the gym. It took me quite a long time to actually get out in public and run. And then it took me much longer to go into like a social setting and run with others because I hadn't made peace with this sort of train wreck that I had you know, created within my body and my mind. So my first running was not, you know, the best experience, but I knew it would be, it it still felt good to do it. I knew there was something there. I just didn't know what. And then when I really embraced, I'm going to learn to run. So that was a whole other thing. Like I'm going to join a running group and I'm going to see how the hell do you even run? Like, am I even doing it right? Like all of that kind of stuff. I still have a picture of me in that running group. And I'm still pretty heavy. And we were doing like these hill circuits outside of this gym that I went to. Oh my God, I was so embarrassed and just slightly mortified, but I showed up and it was just for women. So that totally helped. Um, But there was all these stud runners and I was like, what the hell am I even doing here? You know, that kind of experience. Um, And I remember when I ran my first 5k and I just thought, what? Like, how did I even, what? How did I even do that? Like, it was the coolest thing to be able to have that sense of accomplishment. And it was like a super local, small group organized 5K. It wasn't like even a real race, but I was like, I'm freaking queen of the world. Like it was so amazing to have that feeling of self-accomplishment. Like I just thought where, I don't know where else you can get this, you know, cause it never came to me out of any other aspect of my life. So that's kind of got me down the running path. And then I did get more involved in, you know, local events and things of that nature. I became an actual certified personal trainer, a running coach and a triathlon coach because we had to move from San Diego to central California. And in that move, I decided now's my chance to make a career change. So that's huge. I lost about, I think, 20 pounds or 25 pounds at that time. I was very, very fired up about this stuff not only works, changes your body, changes your brain, but like, how can I spread the message? How can I help others, especially other women like me, to see that this is a thing? Like, what can I do there? So that's why I became actually a certified personal trainer, certified running coach, and then um, ultimately I started endurance sports really in triathlon. And that's because it just looked like fun. I had no idea what the hell it actually was. And one of my clients who I was training at the time, another female, she was a big swimmer. So she said, hey, I'm going to dare you to do this triathlon. You dare me. Let's do it together kind of thing. Let's just check it out. And so that's how that started. I just, I had to borrow a bike and I had to learn how to swim. I didn't even know how to swim. And I was like, sure, whatever. Let's just go do this fun thing. And that took me down the path into racing. And then what about this? What about that? What is possible? You know, the biggest thing is when you say yes, and you show up, you learn what's possible. It could go terribly wrong and be a disaster, but you still learn so much. And I just got hooked on that. Totally hooked. I love it. Just say yes and see what's possible. (laughs) Good life mentality. Totally. I was going to ask, is there anything else you would give, you know, to someone like, advice to your kind of former self there that you would tell younger Sam at the time, you know, what to do or someone that's just trying to tiptoe their, their feet in the water and something new. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm turning 52 this year and I started at 30, like I said. So I really do wish, and what I have said when I've mentored and coached younger people and anybody, frankly, age is not a thing, but what I would say to myself is listen to your gut because it's telling you something and you need to be listening. So it took me a long time to figure out how to listen to that. The other thing it took me a long time to do, I wish, wish I had done younger is to speak my own truth and to really embrace my own power. So a lot of that has to do with just you becoming you. So I didn't really become me until later in life because of all these other things. Now that is part of my story and journey and I wouldn't replace it ever because it's made me who I am today. But if I could go back, I wish somebody, a coach, for example, or a mentor would have taught me some of these things. And then maybe it wouldn't have taken so damn long, but it's all good now. <laughs> it's worked out now. I was going to ask you, uh, did you have any coaches or mentors in your early running journey? You said there, you had a friend that invited you to go run a triathlon, um, but any other coaches, mentors that you sought out? Yeah, when I became an actual certified triathlon coach, I did it under Sally Edwards. I don't know if you've heard of Sally Edwards, but she is amazing. Um, she's like one of the most original, badass female ultra endurance athletes out there. So like Eco Challenge and Western States and all the things. And this is back in the day. She now, I believe Sally is in her late 70s. She might be close to 80. Um, so she was my coach in that environment. And I, we were being taught by her and then we were going out and creating female only triathlon teams in our communities. And then we were coming together in the state of California to race. It was amazing. So she was a big mentor of mine and I'm still have a little bit of communication with her. Actually, she's going to be on my podcast. We reconnected recently, ironically. And then when I was running and moving out of triathlon, which is a whole other story. I made my way, way all the way up to Ironman. I call it Iron Woman. And I finished that. I decided that I wanted to continue in endurance sports because I, I was a little bit burned out with um, the road scene. So I started trail running with some friends in the area. I didn't even know what it was, honestly. And I just immediately was like, wait, we're out in nature in the dirt and we're dirty and it's crazy and we can go any speed and no one cares. It was just like so much more relaxed. I love that vibe. And uh, then I had a mentor in that particular sport. Um, I call him Ultra Bob and he's an older gentleman. He's basically like everybody's grandpa. He looks a little bit like a skinny Santa Claus and he was running trail running and ultra running before it was even a thing. And I found him locally, became really good friends with him. To this day, he's my favorite human in the entire world. And he basically mentored me into ultra running just for, yeah. for months and months and miles and miles and told stories. And we just plodded along up and down mountains. And, you know, eventually he convinced me to do my first 50 miler and the rest is kind of history. Yeah. So two very significant people, I would say, um, contributed to my own experience of seeing what was possible for me, having someone believe in me more than I believed in myself. Yeah. Isn't that great? It's so <laughs> cool. There's always going to be coaches do. Yeah. Where we need that extra mm -hmm. sense of support or you got this right. Totally. Got ourselves. Um, when it comes to ultra running specifically, we do have a lot of listeners that are maybe road runners now or coming out of college. Maybe they're interested in ultra running, but they don't really know what it is. You know, it's so elusive and kind of scary <laughs> or intimidating. So yes, uh, it is. certainly was for me. Do you have any tips for someone that's just getting their, their toes in the water for an ultra or anything you wish you'd known? Mm-hmm. In terms of ultra running, I would say the most amazing thing is to think about why am I choosing to do this style of endurance sports? So if you're into ultra, you're either really into being in the outdoors in a wild adventurous way. Like we go to places that other humans don't go, right? We go up and down mountains and trails like this. Like we go to places that you can't get to in your car and you can't see from a perspective of a bike or whatever. Um, so if that's why you're drawn to it, or the community. The community is very different. The running experience is very different. And maybe that is something that you need initially. Um, I've also coached a lot of athletes and in particular females, a lot of times are not feeling safe 
in the trail space or in the outdoor space, mostly because they haven't been there before and they might get lost or something could happen, all of those things. So, so the communities within ultra running are phenomenal. Like anybody's welcome. They dress crazy. No one cares about it. It's so relaxed and fun and just wild. So that could be a real appeal and draw to get you going and out the door and showing up find a local running club that specializes in trail or ultra. Um, and then for me, yeah, I like to be in really beautiful places. Who does not? Right. And yeah. I want to see them. I want to get there by myself. That's kind of like one of my things. I want to self-propel myself, you know, through this space, through this lifestyle. Um, but why I've stayed with it and why I, it has the most value in my life and the most, I'd say, longevity now and will continue to have the longevity is because most of the time I'm by myself. So I go to a lot of wild places and do a lot of trail running and hiking completely alone. And I'm very comfortable doing that now at this point in my life, I have all the safety precautions and so forth. You know, I'm not reckless about it at all, but, but being out in nature like that and moving through it at whatever pace, like that physical experience and that psychological experience is incredibly healing. Like it's so powerful and it's just so incredibly healing. So I just find that as my way to be reconnected with myself, kind of work through whatever stress, anxiety, whatever might be going on and just kind of process all of that and then come back, re sort of recalibrated into the real world. <laughs> I like that recalibration. Recalibration. <laughs> and someone, I would say, don't yeah. care at all about pace what you're wearing. I mean, there's so many things right. you don't have to care about when it comes to yeah. trail and ultra running. Exactly. That's so liberating, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, safety, you mentioned there, you take the safety precautions. Mm -hmm. um, I can sense, yeah. you know, listeners might be wondering what some of those are. Um, okay. In addition to telling someone where you're going, you know, what are maybe some safety precautions for someone that's a little bit terrified of going on that first trail run or that first 20, 30 miler by themselves? Yeah. If you're totally terrified, do it with another person, right? But if you're willing to sort of have that exploration and see what happens, I'd say a number one thing is pick a route that you're either already comfortable with, like you already hiked it with friends or you've already been there before, or, or it's really well-traveled uh, public trail, meaning that, you know, it has trail markers and signs and it might even have bathrooms and water. I mean, that's radical, but you know what I mean? So yeah. find something that's more or other um, people that are going to say, Hey, humans. you're going the wrong way. <laughs> I've picked yeah. those trails too. That could be super, super comforting if you're just getting started. So where you go, all trails, the app is phenomenal. If you guys don't have it, I have it and I use it all the time. Um, and I actually have the version where I can be tracked by my husband and son. They both, you know, my son lives locally and obviously my son and my husband, they could come find me if need be. So there's a little bit of comfort for them also, not just me, um, letting people know exactly where I'm going. So where did I park my car? What time am I leaving? And what time am I getting back? I mean, just sending a text to whomever is in your circle of safety is really important. In the All Trails app, they actually have that as a feature text messaging your loved ones and you can just hit a little ping and it says i'm feeling great everything's wonderful or i'm running behind like it's just amazing the features that that thing has this is not a commercial for them but i mean those <laughs> things are cool it's right great. yeah um and then being prepared like okay where am i going and how long am i going to be out there mm -hmm. so i live in the desert today it will be over 100 degrees I did my run this morning. It was already like 85 degrees. Where do you live exactly? I live just south of Palm Springs in a town called La Quinta. And those are my backyard trails, literally. Yeah, so if you're listening photograph. and you can't see them, she's got a beautiful background. <laughs> yeah. YouTube, you can see it. My house is literally down there in that um, wow, photo. Gorgeous. Yeah, it's phenomenal, the trails here. But it is freaking rough and rugged and it is hot. It is hot. So... um where being prepared is where am I going? What's the terrain going to be like? Do how much food and water do I need? You know, what are the things? Or over yeah, exactly. Mind. So yeah. having the basics around you feeling safe and secure, you know, going out with a water bottle in your hand and no phone. <laughs> There's and nothing no worse than being like, oh shoot, I'm running out of water. I mean, that's, yes, that's awful. exactly. Yeah. 
a lot of times I take way more stuff in my pack than I absolutely need, especially yeah, on long runs. Hard way. It's ridiculous. I have yeah. so much stuff that's I'm never going to probably use, but, but I do carry a whistle. You might need it for someone else too. That's the other thing is you could help somebody else yes. out there who's yeah. struggling and didn't pack enough, you know, friend. That absolutely friend. has happened. Yeah. I have absolutely had that experience. Um, the other thing is I carry a whistle, believe it or not. A lot of packs come with a little whistle on it. Um, and that's mostly if I get hurt and injured and I can't keep moving forward. I've had very dear friends get hurt on the trail by themselves and be stuck. Um, so that does happen, believe it or not. So weird things like that, but, um, you know, having your phone and being prepared and knowing where you're going yeah. and then communicating to the people right. in your life about all of those things. So th those are kind of the basics of just being safe and probably most, most of your audience is, you know, aware of that. Um, but then I'd say what's going on in your head is a big thing that people mostly kind of don't talk about or they sort of take for granted. And I have done some things, <laughs> a lot of solo things. And I've been in some situations where I was like, this is a bad idea. Like I ran through Death Valley in October and that was not a bad idea. It was great, but I'd been to Death Valley before and I did that solo by the way, but Death Valley before um, in an actual race setting at the Badwater and I was crewing at pacing an athlete. I wasn't even in the race and we were in an organized race, but things happened in that race environment. And I've been, you know, at Western States, lots of other races where you're in these environments and they're very challenging or by myself out in the wilderness like that, and you're having a challenging moment, and you have to think, should I keep going? Is this a dangerous situation? I have to make an intelligent decision right now about what is best for me or for my friend or for this athlete in this case at the bad water thing. You know, like what is, what are all the things going on? We need to really stop moving forward and evaluate the situation. And sometimes it means you need to turn back. And I know for some people, their ego, you know, there's a lot of conversations in their head about what that might look like. So I would say you need to listen to your gut and you need to make the right decision. It is always better to err on the side of conservative caution, the safer route, and not do anything silly. You know, I mean, it's just running. It doesn't matter what the hell it is. It's just running people. So there's no reason to die today running, you know, so... Anyway, that's a little extreme, but I've seen the extremes where poor decisions have been made, honestly. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be one of those. No, <laughs> no <laughs> thanks. That's a good lesson. Yeah. For us all. And it can be so hard in those situations to think clearly and yeah. to be able to assess the situation objectively when you're in the heat of the moment and yeah. you're also yeah. probably overheated or, you know, not thinking totally clearly. So, or the pressure of others, or right? That, Somebody yeah. might say, well, I feel fine. Right. You know, or yeah. I think we should keep going or mm -hmm. whatever the thing is. And yeah. you're like, yeah, but I just don't, or yeah. you don't look fine to me. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you might feel fine. I've been in races where I'm the one saying I feel fine by the way. And I'm ready, like falling uh -huh. over on the side of the trail. Yeah. I feel fine. Right. I've already lost my mind. To, it's too yeah, late. You said, <laughs> yeah. You said earlier, trust your gut and really getting clear yes. on what that looks like the intuitive. Totally. Nature. Yeah. Totally. So, um, Mental or emotional fitness? Emotional fitness? Mm -hmm. You've coined that term. Emotional fitness. That's my jam. Let's dive totally into this. What, what is emotional yeah. fitness and how did you become passionate about this? Yeah. Well, I started, like I said, as a personal trainer and a coach once I kind of started to get my own life and body and brain back in order. And what I noticed, of course, I went through this for myself, but then what I noticed with my clients was that they would come to the session, they were training for something, or they were just trying to get fit, whatever their goals were that they were training for. I was helping them, right? I'm their coach. Mm -hmm. And I found that it wasn't really just about how can we get this person healthy and fit to achieve said goals. There is so much going on in their brain. There is so much going on in their emotions, in their real life, outside of this training experience that they're bringing to the table that are standing in their way, that are literally obstacles for them having the best body or the best life that they can possibly have. So I need to figure out what the heck that's all about and start creating tools for my clients. So then I kind of went back into my own life and said, well, you know, I changed career. I did all these things, you know, relationship. There's all this stuff called life. What are, what are all the things? 
so I came up with kind of the basics of emotional fitness, which is things we're all familiar with strength, flexibility, and endurance. That's what we think of when we think of fitness, right? Mm -hmm. But what does that mean when we're not talking just about the body? Like what does flexibility mean? It's not, can I put my leg up in the air or do the yoga pose or whatever? What I mean by emotional fitness flexibility is that I'm an adaptable human who can adapt to things, <laughs> you know, like I give myself grace and I give others grace. I hold a place for hope in life within myself and within other human beings within the world, frankly, which we all need that right now. And sometimes I have to go with the flow. So flexibility is a, a way of kind of being in your body, in your emotions, in the world. It's not just, you know, do I have flexibility of my hamstrings, which I really don't have flexibility of my hamstrings. <laughs> Thanks for the injury prevention class last night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, strength is kind of an obvious too. Yes, I want to be physically strong. And believe me, at 52, strength training is a thing. Like it, it should always be a thing. But, you know, as an aging female who's still into ultras, strength training. But I, I'm really talking about strength of your mind, not just your physical body. I know a lot of people that haven't been able to accomplish um, sport goals or life goals because they don't have the mental strength. They just have the physical strength and they've done the training, right? Um, resiliency is a huge part of strength. And we all know that that is critical and it's been critical in the last year and a half. And power, like understanding the power of your body, your brain, what you're capable of, and then utilizing that power for good. So power to move up and down the mountains. I went up and down this morning, but what about the power when it comes to me showing up at work or in the community where I have something important to say or in a relationship that is challenging? So that's how I think of strength. And then endurance, which happens to be my favorite thing, obviously. Endurance takes other skills besides like putting in miles and being able to survive the event, you know, for a long time in your heart rate zone. Um, to me, it also means having focus and being able to focus on a goal or a task at hand. It means making a commitment to yourself and to the people that you love. It definitely requires tenacity. And that comes in super handy if you're doing endurance sports. Tenacity is like a different kind of muscle that you can't train in the gym. I mean, how do you actually build tenacity? Trial and error, doing all the hard things, right? So these kind of things I'm talking about, strength, endurance, flexibility, are more like personal behaviors, um, mental patterns and habits around how you live your life as, a, as an entire human being beyond your training plan, running the miles, doing the things, checking the boxes. That's emotional fitness. And I'm obsessed with it. That's powerful. I'm obsessed. I love it. Do you have like a diagram, a pyramid or? Well, I have a bunch of little mini series videos on my Instagram TV page about it. I have like 39 or 40 of them at this point where I talk about little pieces. I think I'm going to, well, I'm in the process of writing a book. So it'll definitely be part of that book story uh, you and I talked about. And then when I coach people, I utilize these three buckets and we dig into parts of their life. And I do business and life coaching. I don't really coach athletes anymore. That's why Chosky is in my life because they coach athletes and they're amazing. Um, but I like to coach the other aspects of the human being outside of that training program, which to me are the most valuable pieces. You cannot execute a training program, set a goal, accomplish a race, do your best in any physical endeavor if your mental, emotional state, relationships, the rest of your life is not working. It's, you're never going to reach your potential. So all those other aspects of the human need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, that's what I'm into. And I'm then business, because I've had a lot of businesses and I've yeah. seen a lot of crazy stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. That's one I'd love to personally dive more into with you. Business and Let's life. Let's do I think it. Things are fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. For anyone listening, I mean, are there I guess we talked about some of the emotional fitness pillars. 
Are there any other topics around emotional fitness that you think need to be talked about more that you see people getting hung up on? Well, a lot of times I do work with either younger people or women, Mm -hmm. um, tend to gravitate towards me because they're like, how is that old lady doing the things, you know, it's kind of, they're a little bit fascinated by that. Um, and what I find as a common thread that I think we should talk about is why is it so hard for girls and women to self-invest? And what I mean by that is self-invest is honoring yourself first and doing the things to take care of this one body, this one brain, this one life that we get. So you feel your best and you can ultimately perform at your best to achieve whatever your dream is, whatever the things are, right? Mm-hmm. I repeatedly have seen over my lifetime, and I was definitely guilty of this, I understand it, um, that for women and girls, that's very difficult. Part of that is society, right? Mm-hmm. And what the pre-programming is there. But now we're having conversations, thanks to your generation and thanks to the world, how it's evolved finally, that we're no longer putting up with those shenanigans. But like, where are we going to take it from here? How are we going to make this change happen with girls and women? And I'd love to hear what your ideas are. Let's, let's figure it out. Yeah. Why don't they self-invest? Self-investment. Well, I always think you can't fill others' buckets until you fill your own, right? Trying to give from an empty bucket when you've just diminished yours. Mm -hmm. I certainly can relate if you're feeling exhausted or strained or you're trying to do 10 different things all perfectly at the same time, you know, it just, Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem to work out well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that a lot of women do do that. They put other people first that's and girls also, I think in terms of girls having opportunity now that they do have opportunity, helping them understand how to manage those opportunities in those situations, um, because they might not be female friendly yet. We might say it's cool that yeah, girls are welcome and all the things and women are welcome and all the things, but then you go into the space and you're like, uh, this doesn't feel good. Or I, am I really welcome here? Or, you know, so having the hard conversations, I think is super important, but for me, here's the bottom line. And here's why I think this is so critical. Like if I had a million dollars, Oprah, if you listen to this and you want to give us a million dollars, we're going to do this thing. What are you going to (laughs) do there? If you change the mindset of the woman, you change all of society. So if you can reach the woman, she is probably the mother, the wife, the sister, the daughter, the auntie, the nana, all the things. Her sphere of influence is next level. Like it's, un- it's amazing. So first of all, women need to understand that. We have so much power, it's beyond comprehension. And we're finally stepping into that. So if we can get to the women and help them build healthy bodies, healthy minds, and really empower them by giving them opportunity, skills, leadership, mentoring, all the things, like just bring the, the skills to the table and empower them in each of these communities, they will then push it out, push it forward within their sphere of influence to their kids and to their husband and to their coworkers and to, I mean, at large, the ripple will just continue. And basically what we need to see there is the women need to feel good and self-invest and role model that for everybody else. Take care of themselves, nutrition, sleep, exercise. And we can go on and on about what all the things are, but self-investment, if they're doing it, the next generation will see it. Absolutely. And ultimately that will be the power that needs to happen because then I respect myself more now. I feel more comfortable in my own skin. I feel more powerful to say what is true for me. I feel more opportunity around my career path or economics. Like it just, it just overflows. It overflows. And if they don't have that and that support isn't there or those opportunities aren't there, they don't have it. They have what society is telling them or what their upbringing has told them. And there really isn't a lot of power in that. Mm-hmm. So we need that. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We need that. (laughs) I think you, you know, it can easily flip the coin the other way too, where it can be 
I mean, I often see women too that take it too far in one direction where you're obsessing over every morsel of food or every workout and isolating from your family and friends. And so I think that's important to call out too, is that, yeah, where there's one pendulum of make this time for yourself and do these things also don't like take it the whole other way and not allow yourself that rest or recovery or space in there to actually be a human, you know? Yeah. Human being, not a human doing. That's super lopsided uh, activity there, right? Because there's some goal that they're chasing, like I did with my career path in the beginning, right? I need to make money and I got to do all these things and I really need to be the big boss and blah, blah, blah. So I chase that at the sacrifice of other things. And I've done that with my physical health and body at times too. Even in my ultra running and racing career, you know, I spent four years just requalifying every year for Western States and running my ass off and doing all the things and basically just not having a great life because I was so obsessed with that goal. <laughs> that's one race. That's one day out of your life. It's totally ludicrous. I got completely trapped in that. A lot of people get trapped in that. A lot of the yeah, end, Exactly. Yes. What in the heck are we thinking? What? <laughs> I mean, I mean, for me, I think, look back and I just laugh. My yeah. Off. It's but it's like, western states yeah it's like it's one race in yeah. one and there's so many beautiful places to run and so many beautiful things to do and i'm not saying that big audacious goals are not important i have lots of big audacious goals i have in my life and i definitely have in my running but you have to keep that stuff in check it's not going to be at the expense of am i sleeping well am i eating well am i seeing friends? Am I working on other aspects of my life that make me happy, my creative side and all that kind of stuff? You know, I'm not going to win the damn race. I'm not going to the Olympics. I mean, I'm just here to like have this one life in this one body. So yeah, balance, I guess. Amen. Yeah. Balance, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, when it comes to longevity in the sport, you mentioned you've been a runner for over 22 years now, you know, what are maybe, and I don't know if you have been injured at all, but maybe, you know, I would love to know, have you been injured? Have you had any setbacks and what have you learned over the long run, literally and figuratively as to how to continue running for the course of 20, 30, 40, 50 years in your lifetime? Yeah. And I do plan to be the oldest lady out there, just FYI, because that's just going to be totally me. You know, who's you barely said you're moving. an old lady. I don't believe it yet. <laughs> I will be though. Like at some point I'll be the 90 year old who's still like pinning on the bib, doing the thing, but <laughs> till they pull me off the course. Um, I've definitely had injuries without a doubt. Um, you know, generally it came from like ramping up my mileage too fast or running on poor surfaces. Like I blew out my IT band uh, training for my first 50 miler. And that's because I did a road marathon and I ran in the slant of the bike lane for like miles. So I've, yeah, I've definitely had lots of things um, that tend to be from overuse or things of that nature. Not recently, knock on wood. um, And I would say the last five years, I've been super conscientious about doing my training differently. So less concerned with my time and place and all of that jazz, more concerned with how am I going to stay in the sports that I love? And so for me, that looks like strength training two to three days a week. And I mean, I get at it and I don't care if I'm the old lady in the room getting at it. Like I'm totally fine doing all those things and it's super fun and I really enjoy it. Um, so strength training, flexibility. I'm not a yogi person because it's very difficult for me to sort of settle down and sit there for 90 minutes doing the thing, but, and I get meditation in the outside space, but I do do mobility. So almost every day, and you look in my living room right now, I have all the mobility stuff. I have the foam roller, the butt ball, the feet balls, I have all the things. And every day or every other day, I am doing mobility. I like to do that before as a warm up and then go do the thing. But I just fit it in whenever I can fit it in. Uh, my sports nutrition and my overall nutrition, I, I just have to be on top of that. And that's tends to be one of my weak spots. Um, Carolyn, who's a Chasky gal, she's our nutritionist. She's amazing. So recently I reworked my nutrition with her and I found I was compromising too much on my pre and post fueling. Mm -hmm. So that was really helpful for me to get back on top of now that I live in the hundred degree desert. Um, But I think nutrition is huge for longevity. And then as part of my self-investment, you know, plan, I do body work. I get body work. 
So I'll go to the chiropractor, I'll get massage, I will get acupuncture. So I believe in all those things. And I did study holistic health. Um, they work for me. They make me feel good. And they've helped me manage a lot of injuries before they became injuries. So being proactive. And yeah, those are just kind of my tricks and trades. But I, you know, I'll keep learning. I'm open to learning more as I continue on this journey, you know. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. you said it. I think you summed it up pretty well there. A lot yeah. of good things. Yeah, definitely matters. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really only have one more question unless you have okay. anything else you really want to dive into. No, no. Throw it at me. Uh, last question for you is okay. what does being a strong runner chick mean <gasps> to you? Yes, it definitely, the first thing I think of is emotional fitness. Mm. So I think strong runner chick is how can I stay in the sport that I love doing the adventures and the outdoors that I love so much? It literally is just who I am now. How can I stay in that? I have to stay strong. And that to me is emotional fitness. So it's of course doing the training and the fitness and the recovery and things we just talked about. But if I don't keep my head screwed on straight, it's not going to go well. And COVID was a bit of a test. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's been a test for everybody. And there were definitely moments where I did not have my head in the game for running at all. Definitely. <laughs> I had my head in the game for drinking a cold beer or two every day and eating Ben and Jerry's and Zooming and all these other weird things. But it, I had to wake myself up, you know, even after all of this and me knowing better, I had to wake myself up and go, who the what are you doing? right? So I had several months of that and then I got back in the game. So strong runner chick me, to me means emotional fitness, taking care of this one body, this one precious life. But this thing, oh man. The brain, the mind. That yeah. the strength up there, the emotional yeah. fitness for flexibility, strength, and endurance up there is just as critical, cannot be ignored. That's me, lady. Thanks for summing that up. I love it. Great. Thanks. Well, how can uh, listeners connect with you if they want, you know, a life coach, a business coach, yep. someone to chit chat with, and maybe they want to learn more. You have a sporting event production company too. So I want to know what's going on there. Nothing going on there during COVID, but <laughs> in terms Stay tuned, of, right? Yeah, I do <laughs> a lot of things. On the way. <laughs> I yeah. Do, yeah, I do a lot of things. So um, samanthapruitt.com is my website. So you can go there and check out all the things, find me on social and totally connect to me. I love to talk to humans. I really do. It's like my things, right? So at the Samantha Pruitt on Instagram and at Samantha Pruitt on Facebook, find me, message me. Let's chat. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Endurance Town USA is my podcast, but you'll see that attached yes. to the rest of my socials too. And you can Google Endurance Town USA and you'll be like, oh, there she is again. <laughs> doing all the things, all the things. Well, you do them yeah. well, so keep it up. Thanks. I love seeing it and uh, grateful you're part of the Chosky collective so that we yeah. can. Absolutely. Thanks all for right. inviting me. This was so much fun. Look forward to seeing you soon. Super fun. All right. Strong runner chicks. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the strong runner chicks radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.